the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called What is a Church? Focusing on a deeper understanding of what it is that we are called to as a church and what it is that we are called to do as Christians. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. We're going to be taking a look at three different sections of Scripture in our time together this morning. I'll give them to you so you can turn with me in your Bibles if you would like. I am going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, from 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 5, and from 2 Timothy 1, 13 to 18. And let's remember that this is God's Word, that this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, that this is for us, that this benefits us, that God has breathed this out through His servant, the Apostle Paul. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I charge you. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And then 2 Timothy 1, 13-18 says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So we're planning to have a brief sermon series throughout the month of September. 
With the school year starting and with the beginning of the church ministry year, I thought that it was right for us to do some thinking about the church, about what is the church, about what makes up a church, about how do we know, how can we discern if we're in the right place, if we're pursuing the right things, if we're structured the right way, how do we know if we're living rightly, if we're, how do we know all that, right? How do we know what a church is supposed to be? Now, I think this is a really important thing for us to take a little bit of time to consider for a couple of main reasons. The first main reason is I think there's a lot of confusion or misunderstanding about the church. There's a lot of misunderstanding about what what a church is supposed to be or what a church is supposed to look like. Uh, There's a lot of question about what we're supposed to live like. The second reason that I think it's really important for us to spend some time thinking about this is actually, I think, related to the first One of the things that has broken my heart recently is that within the last few months, there have been a number of high-profile Christian leaders that have announced that they have left the church, that they've left faith in Jesus, or that they're in the process of walking away. This is something that's really deeply troubling to me. I don't know if you've been following any of that news, any of that news in kind of the Christian world, but the first one who announced that he was no longer a Christian was a Christian leader, is a Christian leader who who was serving the church. His name is Joshua Harris. He wrote a book that in the 90s that was incredibly influential on like a lot of middle schoolers at the time. I was a middle schooler. It was called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and the book had some, had some requirements I thought were a little silly that I didn't follow myself, but it had a lot, of, a lot of influence on the people that I really looked up to and respected. Like Joshua Harris was seen as an incredibly important Christian leader and had a great deal of influence on people that I respected most in my Christian life, in my Christian walk. And so when he announced on Instagram that he was no longer a Christian, that he had walked away from the faith, it devastated me. It broke my heart. And then like a a month ago, about a month ago, there was another Christian leader named Marty Sampson who announced on Instagram that he was genuinely losing his faith and that made him feel free. He's a Hillsong writer who uh, is listed on a bunch of different songs that Hillsong has produced, but the one that is my favorite of the group is a song that I think is really solid. It's the song that goes, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. Beautiful song. And one of the writers on that song announced that he is losing his faith. Devastating to me. Utterly devastating to me. I think that these two things are related. I think that if we have a misunderstanding of what the church is supposed to be, if we're aiming at the wrong sort of thing, if we're trying to be something other than what God has given to us, it makes the gospel less credible. It makes it more likely that people aren't going to participate in the life of the church. If the gospel is is obscured in churches, then faith becomes less likely because people are saved by the hearing of the gospel, right? And so if we don't understand what a church is supposed to be, if we don't understand the centrality of the word in church, it's going to make it, I, I think it's going to make it increasingly frequent that people are, talked, are seen walking away from it. So I think this is really important for us to talk about. But there is a great deal of confusion surrounding what a church is supposed to be, and let me try to illustrate that for you in a couple of different ways. Uh, probably six years ago now, seven years ago, eight years ago maybe, I, time goes by so fast, Aubrey and I had just started dating, and I went to Denver to visit her, and we went to the church that she was a part of, and they were doing a day much like today, where they were launching their ministry year, they had given booklets to everybody that came out about ways that you could be involved in the life of the church, and the minister preached a message, he was a really compelling speaker, I really liked being there, I really was thankful to be there, especially with Aubrey, but you know, with all the other folks that were there too, it was a great, great service, and as he was preaching his message, it was about small groups, and he kind of reached 
the, the high point in his message, and he laid out a dichotomy that I think is a false dichotomy, and maybe he knew that too, but he said, you know, if somebody came to me and said, you know what, you have to eliminate one part of your ministry. You can either keep your Sunday worship services and get rid of your small groups, or you can keep your small groups and get rid of Sunday worship. He said, if I had to choose, he said, in a heartbeat, with no hesitation, a hundred times out of a hundred, I would choose our small groups and I would get rid of our Sunday morning worship service. And he said, the reason is, if we don't have small groups and we just have Sunday worship, we're not a church, is what he said. That left me a little bit confused. I remember thinking, that, that doesn't seem right to me as I went home. Another example, I was interviewing at a bunch of different churches. This is why, when I was finishing up seminary, I was looking to go and serve a place. And one of the churches I was interviewing at, I was speaking with the chair of the search committee. And she had had me to her home before we were going to be having a, an interview with the people in that search committee. And, and she was talking about a church service that she had attended in Grand Rapids. She said, you know, they didn't have any prayers. They didn't have any congregational singing. They didn't have a message. They had the symphony come in and play a concert And she said, and I think that that was really wonderful. And I think that's what we're missing here. That it'd be great to have more services where we don't have any prayers or singing, where we just have a concert throughout the service. I remember thinking, there's something lacking about that. I don't know if you have a church, if that's what you're aiming towards. The third thing I'll just mention is this. You might know that Kanye West is having services right now in Chicago on Sunday mornings where he's doing all sorts of really interesting stuff. He's remixing some gospel songs. He's using some of his rap songs. He wanted to call them church services. He was working with a bishop, I've been told, in you know, one of the African-American churches. And he said, you can't call it a church service if you don't have a message as a part of it. And so he's not calling it church services, as far as I know, because of that reason. That was really instructive, right? It's not a church service if there's not a message. So anyway, I think that this illustrates for us that there is a lot of confusion about what it means to be church. There's a lot of confusion about what... um, what constitutes a church? What's, what must be at the, the center of the church? What if this is gone? If this thing is gone, if you still have a church any longer? And so that's what we're talking about today and for the next, the next few weeks. And today we're going to be talking about the Word in particular. And what I want to offer to you is that if we don't have the Word, if the Word isn't central to the life of the church, then we actually don't have a church. The Word needs to be absolutely central in the life of the church. It's important for us to understand what's of primary importance from the scriptures, and also we can be benefited by some of the, some of the documents that the church has used to understand what it is the Bible is telling us. And so I want to read a little bit of an extended bit from, uh, the, from Article 29 of the Belgic Confession to help us understand a little bit about what makes up the church. So again, this is going to be a little bit long. I'm going to read the whole thing in its entirety because it really helps distill for us and understand what a church is. And so the words are on the screen for you. I'm just going to read this, listen, and and look along. This is what Article 29 of the Belgic Confession says. We believe that we ought to discern diligently and very carefully by the word of God what is the true church. For all sects in the world today claim for themselves the name of the church. We're not speaking here of the company of hypocrites who are mixed among the good of the church and who nonetheless are not a part of it, even though they're physically there, but we're speaking of distinguishing the body and the fellowship of the true church from all sects that call themselves the church. The true church can be recognized if it has the following marks. And so here's what the Belgian Confession is saying is, hey, pay attention. If a church has these things, you know it's a church. You know it's a true church. So it goes on. The 
the church can be recognized if it has the following marks. The church engages in the pure preaching of the gospel. It makes use of the pure administration of the sacraments as Christ instituted them. It practices church discipline for correcting faults. In short, it governs itself according to the pure word of God, rejecting all things contrary to it, and holding Jesus Christ as the only head. By these marks, one can be assured of recognizing the true church, and no one ought to be separated from it. As for those who can belong to the church, we can recognize them by distinguishing marks of Christians, namely by faith, and by their fleeing from sin and pursuing righteousness. Once they have received the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ, they love the true God and their neighbors. Without turning to the right or to the left, they, then they crucify the flesh and its works. Though great weakness remains in them, they fight against it by the Spirit all of the days of their lives, appealing constantly to the blood, suffering, death, and obedience of the Lord Jesus, in whom they have forgiveness of their sins through faith in Him. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukemai. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, Visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called What is a Church? Focusing on a deeper understanding of what it is that we are called to as a church and what it is that we are called to do as Christians. So today we're going to be talking about that first part, the Word. So I want to submit to you that the center of the church must be the Word and the preaching of the Word. I want for us, to that end, to take a look at the logic of the passages that we read at the very beginning of the service, or the beginning of the sermon. Paul in 2 Timothy is approaching the very end of his life. I love the book of 2 Timothy. I love reading it. I, I just love it so much. I love how raw Paul is in the writing of the book. I love how genuine and honest he is. I love how you can see that, that this is a frail human person who God has used by the might of the Holy Spirit, not because of, not because of his strength. I love that as he concludes his life that he is offering instruction to his son in the faith, to Timothy. Now, Paul had been discipling and training up Timothy to continue on the work of the gospel, and as he approaches the end of his life, he's saying, hey, Timothy, I'm going to offer these things to you as these final words that I'm going to send as a letter written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he instructs Timothy how it is that his ministry should be characterized. And in so doing, he helps us to understand what it is that the church should look like in following this pattern of what's offered. And so what he tells Timothy is this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says that he is tasked with guarding the deposit that has been given to him in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that's in Christ Jesus. And he says, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What he's saying is that, Timothy, you've been given the gospel. Now guard it and keep it. Guard it and keep it, keep it right, keep the message correct so that you can give it away so that other people can come to know Jesus. And then in chapter 4, and again, one of, the, one of the most intimate sections of Scripture, he gives Timothy this charge. 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 5. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living, who is to judge the living and dead and by the appearing and by his kingdom. So, so note this. 
Paul's coming to the end of his letter to Timothy, and as he sort of turns the corner into what's chapter 4 for us, he's like, Timothy, I'm going to give you a charge now. I'm going to tell you what needs to characterize your ministry, my son. And in case you're tempted to miss it, I'm going to tell you, I'm charging you. But not just I. Do you notice the context in which he's charging Timothy? He says, I charge you in the presence of God. He's like, so in case you're tempted to think that this is just me saying some stuff to you, I'm charging you in the very presence of God, Timothy. I'm charging you in the presence of God and in the presence of Christ Jesus. So we know the words that he's going to say are about to be potent and important ones. And then he goes on, he's like, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Timothy, I'm charging you in the presence of the one who is going to bring judgment, the one you're going to have to give account to, and in the presence of his kingdom. The whole beginning part of of 2 Timothy chapter 4 is just loaded with importance. Don't miss how important this is. Timothy, I'm charging you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. And then what does he give to him? What is of such extreme importance? Preach the word. Preach the word. He says, be ready in season and out of season to reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. He's saying this. He's saying, Timothy... Whether people's hearts are receptive and they're willing to listen and you can see fruit in those, in those times that are in season, in those times you preach the word. And in times where people are not listening and there is poor soil and there doesn't seem to be fruit, you're out of season, you preach the word. And he says, you take the word and you use it to, to exhort and you use it to reprove and you use it to, to teach, teach with it. Make sure that the very center of your message is preaching the word. And one of the things that's important for us to realize is what the substance of that word is that he's called to preach. And Paul lets us know in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says in 1 Corinthians 2, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is another striking passage, isn't it? Because you know, Paul is the guy that knows so much I mean, he was one of these guys that was incredibly well-trained in knowledge of the Scriptures. And one of the things that becomes very clear throughout the New Testament, much of which is made up of the, the letters that Paul has written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is that this guy knows a bunch of stuff so much that when Peter is writing his part of Scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's like, hey, there's stuff that Paul writes that's hard to understand. He is theologically deep. But do you notice what's the substance of his preaching? He's like, when I'm among you, I know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. And so what the logic of these passages tell us is this. Timothy, a servant of the church, has been entrusted with the gospel to guard it and to keep it. He's been charged to make sure that the center of his ministry is to preach the word. And the substance of the word that he should preach is that which Paul preached, which is preaching Christ. This tells us in no uncertain terms what must be at the center of our life as a church. The word, the gospel, and Christ Jesus himself. Amen. Amen. And let me tell you what my, what my mission is as a pastor. 
My mission is to be devoted to the word. It's to guard the word. It's to guard the gospel. My mission is to preach the word. And my mission is to preach Christ. To be faithful. To preach Christ and him crucified. My mission as a pastor is to be centered upon the word. Upon the gospel. Upon Christ. I need to preach that. That's got to be central. This is one of the reasons that I'm so thankful that as a church, we are committed to being centered upon Christ Jesus. Now, if you have a bulletin, I brought one up here this morning. You can take a look at the back of that. And you can note that, that central to how we operate as a congregation is to be grounded on Jesus. You know on the back of the bulletin it says this, and I'll read it for you if you don't have one. You can look at one. If you do have one, it says, we're glad you're here. That's true. I'm really glad you're here. Everyone is glad that you are glad you're here. All right, I'm going to go on from there. And we are so glad you could join us for worship at Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. And there's an exclamation point there because we're excited. All right, you're following me? At OPCRC, we strive to follow God's call to be grounded in Christ and growing in Christ. I love that. I love it. I'm thankful that that is what we want to announce week in and week out, that this is who we strive to be. We're grounded on Christ Jesus. We're growing in Christ Jesus. The gospel is central to our identity here. And because of that, the preaching of the gospel is of of central importance. Now, sometimes I understand that, that this is hard, that this is challenging. Now, I think there's a whole bunch of temptations that can come to us. One of them is to say, listen, I know that. I know the gospel. I know about Jesus. I want to move past that. I want something a little bit more advanced. Or sometimes it's, you know what? Hearing about Jesus week in and week out, that's hard for me. It's too hard. I want, I want something else. Or I, I, For any number of reasons, it can be so hard for us to want the church centered upon the word of God, upon the preaching of the gospel of of Jesus Christ. And it can be hard. We can drift into this place where maybe we don't want that each week. It's hard for me. I'm the pastor. That is my mission. That's the core of my heart. And it's hard for me. I'm just a mere human being. I'm a mere mortal. And and because I'm simply a man, there are times where I fall into wanting to entertain you or or wanting simply to be nice or, or wanting to step back from... The message of the gospel. This is my temptation as a preacher. And so if that ever happens, you got to confront me about it. Please, please do it in love, right? Please don't, please don't do it in a mean way. Be like, hey, Derek, we need the word. We need the word. Hey, Derek, don't, don't just preach your own inclinations. We need the word. Derek, don't be tempted. Give us the word. We want a church that's centered on the word. And, and if... If I'm being faithful to the task, would you at times just encourage me in that and be like, I see what you're doing, and I appreciate it. I see that you're devoted to the word, and I just want to tell you, keep it up, brother. Encourage me to make the preaching of the word central because there are so many places where the word is not central, and encourage me to be faithful to the message of the Bible, not to change it, not to go above it or below it. Do you notice that this is also the temptation that exists all over the place? You can see it right away at the very beginning. 
of Scripture, right? The temptation is that God gives to us this standard, and there's a temptation either to go above or to go below the standard that God has given to us. There's this astounding thing that happens in Genesis, the very beginning, right? So the serpent comes and tempts the, the, the man and the woman, and he says, hey, how about you eat from that tree that God told you not to eat of? And uh, he's like, did he actually say that you can't eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman is the one that speaks, and she adds to God's instructions, right? She's like, no, he told us not to eat from, we could eat from any tree except the one in the midst of the garden, and he told us not to touch it or we would die, right? She added to the message that God had given. She added this other restriction, and this is one of the temptations in preaching, right, is to, to preach more than what it is that the scriptures say, to add my own human regulations to what it is that the scriptures say. The other temptation is to take away from what God says, to take away from the message of the scriptures, to not go into places that might be uncomfortable for us, to stay away from the things that might create some friction, right? And that's what happens immediately after the serpent says, you won't die. He goes under the line. He's like, now, if you eat this, you're, you're going to be like God. You really, you want this. And to just stay in the middle, right, along what it is that God calls us to, this is a challenge. But it's absolutely essential. It's utterly, utterly essential. Because to change the message that God has given to us corrupts the message, and it turns it into something not worthwhile. It's not for me to try to change some of the words of scripture because I think it might resonate better with some people or it might allow our our itching ears to be scratched. Hold me accountable that when I preach the Bible, I give it to you straight and I don't try to change it or adjust it to try to suit something other than the standard of God. So let me just tell you that the preaching of the gospel and the pure preaching of the gospel, the faithful preaching of the gospel has to be central in the life of the church. And let me just go on to say this, that we as a church, we are a community that is formed by the preaching of the gospel. We're a community formed by the preaching of the word. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the e-book, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.